Bangor Worldwide has been promoting and supporting World Mission for over 85 years. Our podcasts are free of charge. You can find out more about us at www.worldwidemission.org. We hope you enjoy this talk. Thank you very much for inviting me today to speak here. It's, it's a privilege and honor, dear friends, to be here with you. Uh, thank you very much. And, and also, I know that so many of you prayed for me and are praying for me during this convention. Um, uh, as many of you know that throughout this year, I, was going, I, am, I am going through the treatment, cancer treatment. And actually, tomorrow, an exact this time, I'm going to be sitting under my IV infusion for two hours, having my uh, treatment. This will be number uh, 13 infusion, and I need five more. Thank you for praying for God. God is great. God has been really great throughout this time. I was born behind the Iron Curtain, and... My whole upbringing was uh, in the atheistic country. And of, of course, atheistic country, it means lots of hostility towards Christians. And as a child, I learned what it means to have no religious freedom at all. But then in my 20s, uh, I lived in a free country. And not just free, but... Um, Everybody around me wanted to know about God and about the Bible. There was so much interest towards God. Now things changed again. I'm living in a country that has lots of apathy, lots of materialism. People have no interest towards God, majority of people. People don't want to know what the Bible says. When I mention those three different parts I lived in, it might look like I lived in three different countries, but actually the truth is that I'm talking about the same country, one country, it's called the former Soviet Union. Now it is Ukraine. These three stages that I mentioned, the persecution and hostility, and then freedom and interest, and then apathy and no interest towards God, have been moving from one stage to the other so fast and with so much force, uh, and uh, so dramatic that sometimes I'm kind of asking myself a question. Is it possible that me and my short life, I lived in the, in the country like in, with so much change within such short period of time? Today I would like to share some of the, uh, my story, some of my story about it. And my purpose and my hope is that through this story, we would uh, be able to see God's goodness in, uh, at every turn and every point of change in our life. And I hope that through today's story, we would be able to see God's providence and we would be able to want to love him more and to glorify him even more through everything that happens in our lives. Psalm 27 verse 4 says, One thing I asked of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. These words the Bible, in the Bible say that there is only one thing that we should desire to long for is to be at the presence of the Lord, to seek his presence, to gaze upon his beauty. When my mom had her first child, she didn't know the Lord. She was 25 at that time, and as she held this little baby in her arms, she uh, said she was terrified. She said, how would I bring up this little baby in such a difficult world? Ukraine was completely under the domination of the atheistic government at that time. And atheism totally grasped all the country and Christianity was forbidden and persecuted everywhere. Everyone who read the Bible was persecuted. And even though my mom didn't know the Lord at that time, she, uh, when she looked at this baby, she knew the answer in her heart. She said, I need God. I need God in her life. It's so amazing that she did exactly opposite to what the Communist Party wanted her to do. Because that was the time when everywhere the country was full of slogans saying, no God, um, we build the, our future with our own hands. Children are uh, the heritage of the communism. But she, in her heart, knew that she needs God. And I find it's amazing. It's God's providence, God's hand in her life. Her mother herself, my grandma, found the Lord in the midst of the most difficult persecution. A generation before, in 1929, it was the time when uh, the government made the decision to finish with God. And there was, uh, it was done um, in, with, uh, they had lots of campaigns and lots of slogans and uh, in, uh, lots of books to say, no God, the future is without God. This is our future. So it was 1929, and my grandma at that time didn't know the Lord as a real uh, uh, savior. She was part of the Orthodox Church. Many of you probably know a little bit about the Orthodox Church, but it has so, it has so much influence on people's traditions. It's pleasant to look at because it has lots of pictures, lots of candles, lots of emotional ornament but doesn't have the real um, relationship with the Lord. So my grandma was part of this Orthodox Church, singing in the choir, coming to the church, listening to the Bible reading. But the fact is she didn't understand a word what the priest was reading from the Bible. Why she didn't understand? The reason is that the Orthodox Church didn't use the native language for, for reading. They used the Slavic, old, old Slavic language, and they still use it so people don't understand what, the, what people, what priest is chanting or saying. So she never read the Bible herself in her own language and never saw it. But God, in his wisdom, is just so wonderful. 
he decided to use this communist regime to, um, to, ex to advance his, his kingdom in, in Ukraine, persecution began. And the evangelical movement that started already among the country was spread around the country into villages, into through with people who were spread around with the persecution. God is just so amazing. He uses the evil regime to advance his kingdom and spread the gospel. So what happened? She, she is in this village. There is no, uh, she cannot read the Bible. And then the legislation in the government comes out saying that we destroy every church building and evangelical church buildings and Orthodox church buildings were destroyed. And we know that in every 15 churches, they had like 14 breaking down, destroying, and one left, and then 14 destroying, and then one left. So in the village where my grandma was growing, the church, Orthodox church, was destroyed. So she couldn't go even to enjoy this tradition anymore, and she couldn't, there was not, nowhere to go. And then one day, she hears something strange is happening outside of her house, this strange sound. She comes out and she sees there's the herd of sheep passing by from one village to the city to be sold. And the shepherd comes up to her and says, could you give me a, gl a glass of water to drink? She said, of course. She goes back, brings the glass of water, gives it to him. And um, he says, thank you, and gives her something back in, in return. And this was a book, so she took and went back into her house, opens it up, and it was Russian New Testament in, in her language. And she realized that at last she can read it by herself and understand it by herself. This was the first time in her life she read the gospel in her own language, and God used it for her salvation. She got converted. Then she started reading it to her neighbors, and her neighbors got converted. God is doing amazing things through persecution. And now, generation later, my mom is holding this baby in her arms and saying, without God, I cannot bring her up properly. Again, she does exactly opposite what the government wants her to do, and God is doing an amazing thing. She turns to God. She accepts the Lord and becomes a Christian at that moment. Uh, now, my father couldn't understand what happened to his wife. She said, I need the Lord. I, 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 I dedicate my life to the Lord. She couldn't understand that language. He couldn't understand that language. So he thought if she says that she needs God, it means she doesn't need him anymore. So he felt lonely and jealous. And that was the time when he started to drink. A little bit in the beginning, uh, one or two glasses of the work, but then it became more and more. And while I was growing up, over my first six years of life, he was drinking vodka every day. When he was drinking away his time and money, uh, I continued to grow up. Right from my childhood, I remember th that 
uh, how much pain the alcohol uh, can bring into the family. But the amazing thing is that most of my memories in that time is about God's goodness during that difficult time. It is so amazing that God's goodness is so powerful in the midst of the most difficult times. And I'm just praising God for that. And in the midst of difficulties, like we can gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and he encourages us and gives us strength. That is amazing. His salvation came to him um, when he was, came to him when he was uh, completely drunk, he was coming home um, through this water place and, and his foot slipped from the bridge and he fell into the water. And trying to get out, he was struggling and he couldn't, he doesn't remember how many hours he was trying to get out, uh, but he remembers definitely, he knew this is it, he is dying and he is going to meet the Lord, he knew there is a God. So he said, he prayed to God, and ask for forgiveness in the mud. What happened next completely surprised him. He was saying later that God gave him so much peace in his heart that he never knew before. He was already 42, and suddenly he, he has this peace, forgive, sense of forgiveness in the midst of mud, but so happy. It was amazing, he said. Uh, and then somebody pass, was passing by, by grace of God, and this person took him out of the mud and put him on, on the pathway where he was walking uh, before. And he said that uh, he was trying to find out who that person was all through the next few, year, few years, and he couldn't find, and he was so sure that that was an angel that the Lord sent and his servant to, to pull him out and give him, constant his life. God's goodness is in the midst of, of difficult situation, is amazing. I was six years old by then. Uh, uh, I remember I, I loved the Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to be a Christian already in my heart. But not until my father got converted, I did really understand what it means to have a real joy in the Lord and real relationship with the Lord. This joy is also is the most powerful in the, mid, is in the midst of difficulties. As persecution continued, now the whole family, my mom, uh, me and my brothers and sisters and my father was going to church and we were part of the persecuted church of unregistered church so all our meetings were in secret locations like people's houses some woods uh, far away places far away from the city and because the KGB officers it's Russian state security police they watched really, really close after the Christians to find where they go. If they found the meeting, they would take the names of every person, and then later, some would go to the, in, 
to spend in prison 15 days of hard labor. The others would go for a few years like pastors or preachers. And some would get a fine at, his, at their workplace. So uh, every time we went to church, we knew that some, something like that might happen. When my father got uh, caught, was caught by the police once at, he, at the, one of the meetings, and he was sent for 15 days in prison. I remember me and my mom, we went to court to, he, to, to see, to hear the hearing and uh, to support him. So we came to, to the door and, and they didn't let us in. And we didn't know what was happening. And then only later we uh, heard that there was not much a hearing at all. Uh, the, the judge just read out loud the, uh, the verdict. And, and he said the verdict was like that. Um, 15 days of imprisonment for singing very loud at an anti-Soviet meeting. Uh, so he spent 15 days in prison for singing very loud. Um, at the end of this time, me and my mom came to the, uh, to, to the court to meet him. I think I was about 10 or 11 at that time. And he came out and I was just a child. I ran up to him and crying and hugging him. And, he's, and I remember he leaned towards me and he said, um, rejoice, Tanya, this, is, this was for the Lord's. And his face was shining and so rejoicing. It was so amazing to see. And I remember asking myself, how can he rejoice? He just spent 15 days in prison, sleeping on bunk bed, having no food, but he's so happy. The Lord, the joy in the Lord is the most powerful in the midst of difficulties. Soon, of, uh, by grace of God, God taught me the same, uh, gave me an experience to experience that he showed me what it means to have joy in the Lord in the midst of difficulties. It happened in my school year. Uh, when I was in year eight, I remember, so this, uh, my teacher comes up to, to my classroom and says, come, come out of the classroom, somebody wants to talk to you. So I came out and thinking, oh, that's probably, he, they want me to, to go to the master's room because he, before he was always like saying, don't believe in God, read Karl Marx's books, don't read the Bible. So they were always pushing these atheistic books. And this time I thought, she's taking me to his room but no, she didn't. She took me out of the building. We were passing by the school building, and she's taking me to the village uh, council office. And my heart is just racing with fear. She's not saying anything. I'm walking behind her. And then I lift my eyes, and I see this policeman standing at the council office. He was smoking. So I came in. And she said, walk in, somebody wants to talk to you in this building. So I walked in, another policeman sitting at the desk. Um, and then he said, so I hear you believe in God. Um, you know that we put people in prison for that. 
so uh, uh, I'm listening. My heart is just completely like full of fear. And then he said, we'll put you in prison as well uh, for believing in God. And we can just take you right now and take you to the prison. I'm, I'm saying, okay, I just need to go back to, to my classroom to get my school bag. Oh, you don't need your school bag in prison. Of course I do. And then he laughed. And uh, then he turned serious and said, but your mother, we put her in prison for sure, unless you stop believing in God. So he shouted and talked like that and then let me go. I'm walking back to, to my class, classroom and suddenly I've realized something is like different happening in my heart. Just a minute ago, my heart was just racing with fear. And then uh, suddenly I've realized there is like a, a peace and joy is coming into my heart. And that was so surprising, so amazing that I, uh, and this verse in the Bible comes to my mind, that rejoice in the Lord when you are being persecuted. This was amazing to actually experience the touch of the Lord in the midst of difficulties. And I am, to this day, I'm so praising God for letting me experience fear and then have this peace in the Lord because he is in, in a powerful way. He gives his joy in the midst of difficulties. I must say that as I walked home uh, that day, the fear came back again, because we know our human nature and the devil is fighting always with what the Lord is giving to us. I'm walking home and my fear is coming back, thinking, will my mom be home? Or uh, she, uh, they, uh, they took her away, like they said. So I opened the door and see my mom is in the house. Uh, cooking something and singing something, humming to herself while she's cooking, I, and I realized everything is fine. Uh, I went to my room, just fell down on my knees and praising God, thanking God for, for keeping her at home. And then she, my mom came and we talked about it and prayed. Um, and that, that evening, I opened the Bible and I read the verse from Isaiah 41. Uh, uh, Isaiah 41, verse 10. It says... Don't, don't be afraid. I am with you. I hold you with my right hand. After thinking and praying, um, the fear was going away again. Through this verse, God took the fear away again and gave me joy. I remember next morning I got up, got, got dressed and went back to school uh, with a smile on my face. And I, uh, when I remember when I said hi to my teacher, she just looked surprised and wagged her finger at me. I didn't understand what was going on. And only later I realized that she was expecting me to, to be afraid because only the day before they took me to the police. I was supposed to be afraid, but she didn't see fear on my face. God is amazing. In difficult times, he gives joy. And exactly the passage, as it says, it's it's being fulfilled in, in Christian life. There were lots of attacks on, Christian, uh, on Christians in media at that time. Uh, the Communist Party was attacking the church through the newspapers, through the articles, articles through 
uh, all, all things on the TV and the radio. And the KGB officers influenced the nation through the articles and through these things that they were saying. For instance, many Christian phrases were twisted. For example, we say in the Christian life that I put everything on God's altar. I give everything to you. I sacrifice my life to you. They would take this phrase and said, aha, so you are sacrificing your children. You're killing your children in your meetings, which was a lie. Or another phrase, we say, we follow only Jesus. They, they said, aha, so you are against the, the Communist Party because you have to follow only Communist Party. And it would be twisted politically. There was another one. We, quite often we said, Christians in the West are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the response would be, so you're American spies? You communicate with Christians from the West? This propaganda, these twists, were fed to the, to, around the media. When our house was uh, searched from top to bottom, the police came and they confiscated all the Christian literature. Um, they also took a tape recorder and an old radio, very old radio. Uh, we used to listen to the Christian broadcast on it. So they, they took it also. But the next week, there was an article in the newspaper saying that a strange device was confiscated from the Baptist house, which was used to communicate with Americans. In time of the Cold War, those words were enough to stir up bullying in school. And I remember my brother that week came back home with the marks of beating on his head. In times like this, it's easy to be disheartened or feel angry or hate those who persecute you. So I remember as a child, my parents used to teach me to pray for those who persecute us. And a bit later, when I was part of the youth group, I remember the, at the youth meetings, we prayed for those who persecute us. Pray for those who persecute you, the Bible say. Also, I remember we, the churches were writing, some, were writing some petitions to the government to ask for freedom, but usually they were without answer. Uh, the government didn't, didn't take any notice of it. There was one thing that was very powerful. We used to send information to Christians to the West and probably many of you remember receiving some information about persecuted church and people all around the world were praying for persecuted church and probably many of you prayed. We believe that was the most powerful thing. God answered the prayer of the whole world and changed the communist regime 
changed the persecution and gave freedom to the former Soviet Union. Thank you very much, my dear friends, for praying and praying to God for freedom. He answered your prayers. The next stage of, of um, my life I called, let me find it, time of freedom and spiritual hunger. When freedom came, we couldn't believe it. It was 1990. Things changed so dramatically that we just were almost caught by surprise that suddenly everything changed so much. But God is amazing. God just did impossible. The Soviet Union collapsed and uh, party was party disappeared, but God was still alive. All those churches that were used to gather in secret then came out and began to build church buildings. What was amazing that within five to ten years of freedom, all those churches were filled up with newly converted people. To see that, it was amazing how God is working and was working. My mom, my mom and dad gave up their garden for the new church building. So the, our church building, church building in my backyard. And, and I remember uh, the church was going and building and people were coming and during the week everybody would come and find out about God, ask questions and my dad would take them into the kitchen and talk about the Lord, have a cup of tea and then say, come on Sunday to the service and they did. I remember I was coming back from, uh, from work, sitting at the kitchen table and dad would tell us the stories, who came, who asked questions about the Lord and uh, who hopefully would come next Sunday to the service and we prayed about people. They just so loved the fact that the church building is in their yard and that they can talk to, to non-Christians in their kitchen about the Lord. The first five to ten years of freedom was great. God was just bringing new people into the church. But then things started changing, to change. Time of materialism, time of spiritual apathy began to creep in. And it seems that Ukraine has already reached that stage where spiritual apathy is everywhere. It seems to me that during persecution, we, we uh, are united as a church. But when the freedom comes, we begin to have our own opinions and uh, divide. So this is what happens in Ukraine, happened in Ukraine. Now the churches are uh, more passionate about their different opinions than about the unity in the gospel. My church that I was growing up in, I was uh, part of the persecuted church, have split five ways since the time of freedom. And it is difficult and painful to see, but this is the fact. It seems to me that we as people are passionate about little things in time of freedom. 
and big things, kind of, we don't talk about it, but when it's persecution, the big things unite us and we forget about the little things. How do we respond to that? How did the church in Ukraine respond to this change? Many churches in Ukraine are trying to deal with it by putting some um, rules, do's and don'ts, what to do to the members. And of course, it does bring lots of, lots of pain, disheartening, and people are not thinking about the scripture, but about the rules. It is sad, and it seems that the church in my backyard in Ukraine seems like leaning more towards this way. There are other churches that um, kind of give freedom to, every, to everything. And again, people are not grounded on scripture, but on their own opinions of, of different beliefs. But there are churches that believe that this is the time to teach only scripture. Time to, time to teach those converted people who came into the church over the first uh, 10 years of freedom. The churches in the former new Soviet Union need to be grounded in scripture. And I would like to ask everybody to pray about it. Praise God that there are brothers, there are churches who truly believe that, that the scripture is the only thing that would ground us strongly in the Lord. There are books and there are study groups, but always there is more need for that. Please pray that churches in former Soviet Union would continue to grow in the Lord and on, build their principles and their lives only on scripture only scripture. When we see spiritual apathy around us, let's say, Lord, please help me to know you more and to study about you more. I hope that my story would encourage all of us to see God's goodness at every stage of our lives. Here in the United Kingdom, when I look around, I see that we live in such a time, a secular time, where biblical values are mocked. You can openly uh, uh, believe, you can openly believe about anything else, unless you believe the Bible. This is what I see in the media and here, everywhere in this country. Now, what, what I say next might sound quite strange and maybe new to you, but this one-sided secular approach, this verbal attack against Christian principles, does ring a bell in my mind because I heard very similar in the former Soviet Union. Different time, different country, but sounds very similar. When I see at the, secular, at the secular country here, I see lots of hostility towards Christian principles. And this attack on biblical principles are not new. They, they are the same as the uh, people using different countries. In the former Soviet Union, there was lots of attack on Christian principles. But the amazing thing is God kept his church through persecution in that country, he will 
will keep his church through these verbal attacks in this country. He will do it definitely, and he is doing it. God is the same, and he is powerful. When I look at some of the children, some of the children say that in secondary school it's so hard to be a Christian. Children are cruel to each other, and to be different is very hard. It reminds me of my school in the former Soviet Union. God kept that time. God will keep your children and your grandchildren in this country when there is lots of verbal attack on, on Christian principles. I pray, dear friends, that this story would encourage you just, encourage all of us to gaze upon the Lord, to see his goodness, and to see his providence at every turn and every change in our society. Let us want to learn more about him, that we would be able to love him more and glorify him even more in our lives. Let us gaze upon the Lord and seek only his beauty. Thank you. We trust you've enjoyed this podcast. If you'd like to make a donation to support the work of Bangor Worldwide, please visit www.worldwidemission.org slash donate.